This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Welcome to Live and Learn with me, Dashran Johan. You're listening to our Ketuanan Pengundi of Voter Supremacy series in collaboration with Bursi. This series will explore six key reforms that the Coalition for Clean and Fair Elections is championing to empower voters ahead of GE15. On the fourth episode, we discuss our right to dissent and the types of reforms needed to enable greater room for dissent. Joining me on the show today to discuss this is Niao Chao Ying. She's a lawyer and the acting executive director of Bursi. Welcome to the show, Chao Ying. Thank you. All right, Chao Ying, let's start with this. What exactly does democracy mean? Yeah, so this is a big question, uh, but I'll just um, speak from my perspective. Uh, I think democracy literally means ruled by the people. And uh, it is a form of government that uh, the power is vested in the people. And how do we exercise that power is actually through uh, elections, uh, periodic elections. The elections that is inclusive, transparent, credible, in other words, free and fair elections, right? Mm-hmm. So to me, the mo- most important thing about democracy is the center of a people. We got to choose who is going to govern us. And this people who govern us will make laws and policy that affect our daily life. So it is the people that is the ultimate decision maker of who will govern us. But I think what is not a democracy, what is not a democracy is, for example, a one person or a small group of people ruling over us. And we don't even have a say of who these people are, how long they will rule, If they make a mistake, what's going to happen to them? Are we going to listen to them all the time? If we don't or we don't obey their rules, what will happen to us? So those are an alternative to democracy. And those are the things that I I personally, I do not want. But of course, I think to me, the the most important value, as I said before, uh, of democracy is the people. Right, so the people decide who govern them. Uh, we prevent one person rule, and in this democracy, it creates an environment that um, the government or the ruler respect human rights and fundamental freedom. And we got to choose. We have a say uh, on the persons who govern us, and we also have a say on how we want to hold them accountable. So I'll come back with the accountable part. Mm-hmm. But I will roughly touch on uh, some of the opponent to democracy. Right. Like they will say that it is messy, it is chaotic. If the people are not mature enough, you know, you will elect someone that you don't want, right? Mm-hmm. So, of course, democracy has a lot of challenge. Even today, disinformation, misinformation, fake news, all this post a threat to democracy. But I think it is for the country, uh, for the people, to see how they want to meet those challenges and those crises. But what we do need to ask is that what is the alternative to democracy? If you don't want uh, a system, a governing system that is centered on people, then what do you want? Right. So so that is the questions that we, we need to ask ourselves. Absolutely. Um, I just give a very simple example because right. for example if I'm a 
company boss. I have 20 workers, uh, employee, and I want to impose a rules, you know, that will affect them on their working hours, for example. Yeah. There's ways of doing it, right? I can like have a policy. I just had call for a meeting, two minutes, I can settle, right? This is my policy. You listen to me. If you don't follow this policy, you know, you will have repercussions. But another way of doing it is that I have a meeting with all 20 uh, of my employee. And uh, everybody has a chance to give their opinion. They are given the chance to disagree with me. Uh, and then uh, we come up in the end, maybe a solutions that is agreeable to most. And then we vote on the solutions. And uh, it will take maybe two, three hours instead of like one minute. You know, uh, it can be during the process, it can be very noisy, very chaotic. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you will have a policy that is acceptable and agreed by everybody. So this is something that I, I always use to think about the different contrast between the different method or manner of governing. I mean, democracy is not only like elections once in a while, you just go and do your voting, but it is also um, particip participatory, you know. It is also political participations uh, throughout the process, throughout the years, holding the decision makers accountable. So, one of the key components of democracy is often said to be dissent. What is dissent and why is it important? Yes, uh, so the right to dissent uh, is actually a hallmark to democracy. As you uh, rightly pointed out, a mature democracy encourages people to disagree with the establishments, the government or the party in power. It is, it is the disagreement is the intrinsic part of democracy. It is because it is the people. I, I'm the one who choose my government. I, I, I must have a say of, 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 of the policy, the law, you know, and the, 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 the things that is done by the government, right. people that I choose from, you know, because democracy is about people. People are uh, the, the, the power. So right to dissent is, is, the, is, is the hallmark, is the most important thing in a democracy. And what is a dissent? Of course, uh, it's like different opinion on a particular subject uh, or plan or belief. And just now we talk about accountable. Actually, the right of dissent is the one that can actually bring about accountability as well, right? So rule by one person, rule by elites. They don't allow you to speak against them, right? Because you don't choose them. Mm -hmm. So I think that, that is very important and that is something that we should always encourage uh, in the democracy. And uh, our federal constitution, of course, um, guaranteed the right to dissent. Uh, you can have a freedom of expression, freedom of association, freedom of assembly. Of course, freedom are not absolute. There are people who say that you should have restrictions on freedom. The restriction must be a reasonable restrictions. It cannot be, it, it has to be for legitimate purpose, for um, for legitimate purpose and proportionate. So you can't have like 1,001 restrictions for all kinds of reasons uh, <laughs> to restrict your freedom of speech or your freedom of expressions. Right. To an extent that you, the, the freedom is an illusionary, right? Mm -hmm. So, so that, there must be a, a very high standard 
uh, if you want to impose uh, restriction. So there are form of expressions, different form. How do you descend? You can, you can have a speech, you can make a satire, you can do a painting, you can have a photograph. There's all kind of way of expressing, but you can also form associations you know, to, to voice out your opinion or to lobby for certain policy. Um, freedom of assembly, i.e. protest, right? Mm-hmm. So that is a fundamental right. Uh, it is one of the ways where you uh, express yourself, express your dissent, right? This is especially so uh, and is especially important for socially oppressed or marginalized groups, right. I felt. Right, orang asal maybe they do not have uh, access to media that they can express their view. They probably will not be able to write a long article or policy brief to the government, but they can hold a play card and voice out their 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 opinion and uh or uh, or they can hold a play play card to voice out what they disagree with the government right. or or something you know and they, they, that that is a form of them expressing their dissent. And it should be encouraged in a democracy. What do you think of the culture of dissent um, in Malaysia? Yeah, so you know Brasse. Brasse have organized five rally and you right. have seen thousands, hundreds, thousands of people coming mm-hmm. on the streets. Some months ago, uh, Brasse was uh, commented as a black mark in Malaysia history because we hold many protests. And uh, we actually released a statement uh, in response right. to that remark of uh, Sudan of Johor. And uh, when we draft the statements, uh, we look back at the history of protests in Malaysia. And, uh, you know, arguably we can say that this country was actually born out of a protest movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dato' On Jaffa rallied the masses to object against the Malayan Union which was unilaterally imposed by the British after the Second World War, right? And uh, this paved the way to the formation of the Federation of Malaya, which we know eventually leads to the independence uh, in 1957 and the formations of Malaysia in 1963. In fact, at that time, Dato On and Amno were not the only one to use protests as a legitimate means of a collective actions. The multiracial Putra AMC JA coalitions through the leader like Ishak Haji Muhammad, Tan Ching Lok, K. Ganapati, Dr. Buhar Nudin Helmi, uh, launched a country's white protest, Hatal, in 1947 to advocate for the people's constitutions. And I think it's throughout all this time that, that you, you see democracy balling, you see reformacy, um, that the rakyat actually resort to protest as a mean of uh, solidarity and con- uh, and grievances and push for certain costs. In fact, over the years, you have um, accept, uh, but beside Brussels rally, you have Hindraf. Remember mm-hmm. Hindraf? Right. Malaysia Bar Council have launched many uh, protests. The yes. lawyer did protests. Um, taxi driver, if I remember. Um, even people who object to us signing the ISIL, Convention Against Discriminations, um, Orang Asal, the Baram Dam. So protest culture is 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 with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it is with us. It is not uh, like we are a very 
the subdue nations where people don't bother. I think people do bother. People do um, pay attention uh, to, 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 to all the issues and they do did come up uh, in, a, in a big force uh, when it comes to uh, protests and when it comes to voicing up their dissents. So keep it up. I mean, uh, we, we should not suppress ourselves. We should not self-censor ourselves. We should think about how we can uh, improve that, you know, progress uh, forward. I think you bring up a fantastic point about this nation and, and the fu- very founding of this nation, um, you know, has been um, through protests and whatnot. We are talking about, um, you know, the Hartal protests um, 10 years um, before independence. Um, it's a, there's a wonderful documentary about it on uh, by Fami Reza called Sopluton Sablom Merdeka. I think that's a fantastic documentary. And of course, um, the Reformasi movement and then the Bursay movement, um, you know, over the years. But there was a long period where people were very afraid. Um, mm. People were very censored. Um, people was, um, you know, people were stifled. What is your take on that period of time, especially because of um, Tun Dr. Mahade's policies in the 90s? Yeah, yeah. so I, I think, of course, during that time, um, I think there's a lot of fear because of the government actions and the propaganda. But I think uh, reformacy. And uh, after Reformacy, uh, Bursay rally, I think that really changed uh, people. Um, the the first two rally I remember is very violent in the sense that there's a lot of tear gas and you know police violence. Uh, but after that, uh, it was of course a lot of challenge uh, because the police do a lot of roadblock and and you know find all ways to stop us from going into the pers- uh, the uh, protest. Uh, but I think people do come up. It, the, the thing that uh, that really changed it is that there's nothing to be afraid of. And this is my right. Uh, I can, uh, as long as it's peaceful, you know, I don't incite any violence. I, I can be on the streets um, voicing out my opinion and my dissents. I think, uh, I think, I think Malaysians uh, understand about this. Um, the only thing at that period of time is they don't want to come out because of the uh, personal risk or family risk or the repercussions that will be placed on them. But I think over the times, people have uh, overcome that fear and there are laws that change that um, it, it doesn't make the uh, government so easily uh, convict a person for illegal assembly or you know, put them into jail. And this is really true civil society actions, activists, journalists, you know, uh, all the stakeholders putting together uh, the, the narrative, the voices. So, you know, traditionally people who object to Bursay, uh <laughs> surprisingly, they came out to protest after right. the government, right? So to them, it is, it is legitimate. It's legitimate, yeah. So, so I, I, I think um, it is still there. The culture is still there. Um, the room is still there. Um, yeah, so we just have to um, make use of that room. On the show with me today is Nyao Chaoying, lawyer and acting executive director of Bursay. After the break, I ask her about the reforms needed to expand our civic space. Keep it here on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9.
Welcome back to Live and Learn. I'm Dashran Johan and you're listening to the fourth episode of our Ketuanan Pengundi series which is in collaboration with Berse. On this episode, I'm joined by Ngao Chowing, who's a lawyer and she's also the acting executive director of Berse. And we're talking about dissent. So Chowing, if you say, um, you know, the, the culture of protest has always been there and it's still there today, people will come out um, to the streets if necessary. Um, and we, we've saw it, you know, even before Berse, like you mentioned, we've, we're talking about Hindraf, we have also the anti-ISA rallies. Over um, the past couple of years, we've seen Turon protests yes. and, and things like that. So if all of these things are happening and already happening, what changes do we need to see? And so what is the problem right now that needs reforming? I think the first thing is to repeal Mm-hmm. abolish the Seditious Act mm-hmm. and uh, Section 233 of the Multimedia Communications Act. Right. Yeah, this act, Seditious Act was actually introduced in the British time uh, to stifle Communist Party at that time. Right. Communist insurgents at that time. And uh, it has been still in existence until today. Even though I think the past few governments, even Najib governments, proposed to uh, abolish the Seditious Act and it is still here today. And the problem with the Seditious Act is that it is same as the MCM's, uh, MCA uh, Multimedia uh, Act, is that it is very vague, right? It's very vague. For example, the Section 233, it says that it is an offence if you post something intended to annoy others. Right. What does that mean? <laughs> seditious Act, right? There is a seditious tendency in Section 3 of the Act. It actually said that if you do anything, say anything, publish anything that have contempt to the government or the royal, or you incite ill feeling, hatred, and you will be under a seditious act, you will will be committing an offence and it carries a heavy punishment. So if I ask you this too, can you figure out what is the scope of the law? You can't annoying other people. I can be annoying you now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so, so vague. Yeah, it's so vague. So mm-hmm. you you can't you can't determine what is the scope of the law. So what is the law for if you can't even know what is the law? Right? So this is a big problem. And and it you we have seen that it has been used to uh to um arrest politicians arrest uh, journalists, activists, um, you know, people who are really posting something on Facebook, it has been used to arrest them, investigate them, harass them. So I think for a start, these two acts must go, right? But of course, people will ask, if you go, then how do we deal with people who incite violence? through their speech. Right. Because that that is the yeah. point, the point, right, Chow, Chow Ying, that, yeah. that is the uh, that's the argument that we often hear, especially from the establishment. Yes. Or, you know, it's that, you know, these are all important um, laws to, uh, you know, maintain security. Yeah. Um, you even hear that about SOSMA. You know, SOSMA cannot be abolished, they will say, because, um, you know, it's important to preserve security and, and you know, without yes. all, they, they, they try to stoke the, the flames of fear, right, yeah. among the public to say that if we don't have these laws, then it's just going to be chaos um, all over. What is your response to that? Yeah, so actually we do have section in the penal code, right? 
the Section 503 and Section 505 that restrict freedom of speech in order to prevent violence. There's an element of violence there. So if you incite others to commit a crime, you can be punishable, arrest and punishable if found guilty of that sections. But this is not always used. But what we have seen is seditious act and uh, this uh, section 233 has always been used. Um, and is in use on what? For example, Maria Chin, right? Just before the rally, she was put into Sosma, mm-hmm. it's a draconian law. And I remember, I think uh, someone spoke about, um, I think it's Kaimi Rudi, spoke about, I mean, he, he critiqued the one MDB, he was actually put into Sosma. Right. And then uh, one MDB, the lawyer that represent him was put into Sosma. So they use the word security, national security. We don't deny that national security is utmost important. Everybody wants to live in a country that is safe. But we have to be very careful on using the word national security. Because you remember our home minister has said that children born to Malaysian mother overseas, we cannot give you citizenship because of national security. Right. So our children fall under a threat of national security. So what I'm saying is that we have to be really careful in using national security to cover everything, right? So SOSMA is another draconian law. SOSMA POTA is another draconian law. Of course, the the justification, as you said, is national security. But again, what is national security? And the law did not really um, define what is security offence. So as I said just now, mentioned about Maria Chin and Kyrie and Matthias Chiang, they have been arrested, detained under the National Security Act. Uh, sorry, under the SOSMA, which is part of the National Security Measure. So, um, and if if we read the um, Swaram National Human Rights Reports every year, you will see many incidents of violation of fair trial. I mean, we we. We have to uphold the national security, yes, but we also need to ensure that we abide by the, the international standard of protecting our human rights because we are a democratic country. You will see that there is a lot of incidents of violation of fair trial in those cases, especially on procedural fairness and evidential fairness. And that is what we are, and the civil society and human rights defenders are cry for about. We mm-hmm. are objecting to it because of all this abuse. It is vague. It has been abused. We are not guaranteed a fair trial. I mean, to me, the bottom line is that if someone is accused of a wrongdoing, that person must be given a chance to defend himself fairly even if you apply in your domestic household situation. Right. You know, if you accuse that my brother has uh, stole my money or stole my piggy bank, he has to be given a chance to defend himself fairly. So I think that is really a bottom line uh, when it comes to national security or human rights. Right. right. So to me, that is important. Even though you are accused of a national security 
offence, you must be given the fair trial. Now, Chaoying, why is there such a lack of political will when it comes to the abolition of the Sedition Act or, you know, Akta Sakit Hati, which is uh, Section 233 of the Communications and Multimedia Act? Because even during Pakatan Harapan's time, yes, they were not given their full um, full term of five years, but they had the chance to abolish the law in 22 months and they didn't. Not only that, um, I can think of, let's say, activist um, Fadia Nadwa, who was investigated under the Sedition Act even during Pakatan Harapan's time. So why is there such a lack of political will um, when it comes to the abolition of these draconian laws? The Really, the idea of all these national securities uh, is really stuck uh, in the mind, especially of, I think, the, the civil, civil service, civil, civil service. Um, I think when we talk about the abolition of the Sedition Act, I think... Uh, there are some talk about replacement it with uh, Harmony Act, fake new acts and things like that. But the thing is, we don't want to have another act to replace an old act that is equally draconous and arbitrary, right? right? And uh, the problem is that we also did not get a lot of consultation uh, from, from, from in, in the lawmaking process. How would the people be involved in the lawmaking process since we are, you know, Vested with the ultimate power, right? Right. So I think that that is where we come in, where we talk about the parliamentary reform. It is all this, I think, uh, that is interrelated to each other. You know how law is made, how people can, um, how how we can input and contribute uh, to the lawmaking process. How parliament can be open to the people to to put their input. Parliamentary select committee whether they can actually. Uh, uh, get opinion or uh, or input from the civil society, and even if they have input from the civil society, how do they take into considerations? Can it be open? You know, there's a lot of issues that uh, we need to talk about, and as I say, it is all interrelated. You know, we want to change a law. We want to have IPCMC that is more strong in terms of um, uh, in terms of monitoring and making police abuse accountable. We do need to go through the process. And the process is through the institution. So we need to strengthen the institution for us to make all these things work. And before we wrap this conversation up, Chao Ying, would you have a final message for us? PRU 15 is coming. Mm. It's maybe just in a few weeks' time. I really urge people to come out to vote. Uh, I understand that voting is a choice. So we respect the choice. But if you want to have a say for the next five years of how your life is governed about your future I think it is important for you to vote to me that is so sacred that one vote is so important it feels I feel empowered so I really hope that and urge people to come out to vote and uh, also I mean advertise on birthday uh, please uh, follow us on our Facebook because we are going to launch a campaign soon on encouraging people to vote and you can participate in the campaign as well. So thank you very much. Thank you so much for joining me today, Chao Ying. That was Niao Chao Ying, lawyer and acting executive director of Bursay. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, Spotify, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Ketuanan Pengundi on Live and Learn, BFM 89.9.
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.